Welcome to the LDN Radio Show, brought to you by the LDN Research Trust. I'm your host, Linda Elsigood. I have an exciting lineup of guest speakers who are LDN experts in their field. We will be discussing low dose naltrexone and its many uses in autoimmune diseases, cancers, etc. Thank you for joining us. Today, I'd like to welcome back our guest, Jill Brook, who's a researcher, nutritionist, autoimmune patient, and a POTS advocate. Thank you for joining us today, Jill. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here with you. I didn't also say in brackets, friend. <laughs> <laughs> so could you tell us your story? Take us on a journey of before you were ill and up till today. That would be great. Well, sure. Let's see. I'll try to shorten it. I'm 50 now. So I was a really healthy kid, had allergies, but that was it until about age 17 when I got wisdom tooth surgery and a bad infection afterwards. And things just started being a little bit off after then, as probably a lot of people can relate to. And for me, it was just a slow descent that started with little things like rashes and my face flushing and itching all night and getting uncomfortable when I would be upright too long. And I'd see doctors and they wouldn't be able to find anything wrong with me. And it kind of just gradually got worse for 17 years, actually. So by the time, you know, 17 years had gone by, I was pretty much a mess. I was passing out many times a day. I had moved to Alaska because unless I stayed shivering cold, I would pass out a lot. Um, my face had crazy rashes all over it. Um, my hands would burn at night and puff up like big bear paws. I couldn't sit in the same position very long because I'd get swelling on whatever body part had the weight on it. So I had a big baboon butt after sitting, for example. So I called myself a human rotisserie because I had to keep changing position all the time. I was dizzy. I had heart palpitations. Oh, I had this, this crazy anxiety hour at 8 p.m. every night. It was, it was very funny because I was smart enough to realize that no other hour of the day was I anxious. And at 7.30 p.m., I could not think of a thing in the world to be anxious about, but I knew that come 8 p.m., I'd be really anxious about something, and I'd almost try to guess what it would be. And then like clockwork, it would strike, and I eventually learned to just kind of ride it out because it would go away by 9. But just a lot of weird things like that. And I had seen, you know, doctors all over the country at top universities and institutions who could not find anything wrong with me. You know, they, they found I had rosacea, so basically red face, and I had tried some things for that. But other than that, they couldn't find anything. And then I got kind of lucky, and I got stung by a wasp, and my hand puffed up big, and it hurt a lot. And so a couple days later, I took antihistamines. And the crazy thing was, not only did my hand get better, but like 20 other things got better. All of a sudden I could sweat again after 10 years of not being able to sweat. I could stand up again after not being able to stand up very long, all kinds of things. And, you know, as people do when they go 17 years without a diagnosis, I had been researching the heck out of everything. And um, I came across some stuff that I thought I had. I referred myself to the Mayo Clinic. They confirmed that I did indeed have it. And so, yay, you know, I, I had a diagnosis. I expected to get treatment and to get better. 
they were letting me try all kinds of things, but I wasn't really getting better. Stuff would work for a little while, like those antihistamines, they'd work for a few days, but then it would wear off. So I was a mess. I was like 20 years into kind of this descent into hell where it was just always like a 10 alarm fire in my body. There'd always be like 10 different things that just needed my immediate attention because they felt like desperately painful or desperately dysfunctional, or I was going to pass out or something. So it was pretty dark. I was not doing well. And this was, um, you know, probably age about early forties. Um, and then I was so fortunate to, you know, still be doing some of this research and I came across the LDN Research Trust, and one of the um, advisors and people who had lectured really caught my attention. It was the amazing Dr. Pradeep Chopra, the pain expert, and he had talked about LDN. And you know, pain was kind of the least of my problems at the time. I mean, I had plenty of different kinds of pain, headache, stomach ache, nerve pain, leg pain, all this stuff, but that wasn't really what was getting me. It was other stuff. So I didn't really know if LDN was for me. And so there was a, a charity online fundraiser where Dr. Pradeep Chopra was, um, was going to raffle off a chance to talk to him on the phone. And so I was making sure that I won that opportunity. And I did. And I got to talk to him. And he actually, he knew what I had. He understood it. He understood that I had tried all the normal stuff and I was still a mess. And so he said, I think the next thing you should try is Lodos naltrexone. And that's all I needed to hear because he's like a god. He's amazing. And so I tried it. And oh my goodness, if it didn't work really fast, like within a couple of days, I could already tell something was different. And I describe it as just feeling a little bit psyched, like that feeling of um, like a runner's high a little bit, like in my days when I could run. And I started sleeping a little better and being able to... Um, not be in so much pain. My mood improved enough that I was sort of, you know, I was not in a state where I could go on living like that forever. And I got to a state where it's quite a bit better. And, um, and then, you know, I was very lucky in that a couple months later, I got access to another treatment that helped me as well and made another big difference. And so between those things, I kind of got to a point where I certainly still am not normal. I got issues but I have it, what I'd call good enough. I have a, I got a life back. I didn't get my exact life back, but I got a good enough one back. And so um, I'm still really grateful for low-dose naltrexone. I still notice it if I miss some. I even notice it if I start eating, um, oh, what do they call them? Uh, exogenous opioids. I've, I've heard some of the experts at um, the LDN conferences mention that they think LDN works better if you do not eat exogenous opioids, i.e. all the fun stuff, all the tasty stuff, the, the wheat gluten and dairy and sugar and processed foods. And um, just a couple of months ago, because of COVID, I decided to start eating some yogurt again for the um, probiotics. And boy, if I didn't notice that the LDN um, got less effective and I gave up dairy and it bounced back and I was grateful for it. So little things like that keep me, um, keep me grateful for LDN and show me that it's still working. So unlike some of those other things like the antihistamines that wear off, the, the LDN has kept working, which is pretty interesting. And I think I've mentioned that um, 
to you personally that I have some family members who've had like also just like miraculous um, benefits from it, but in completely different areas of um, medical issues. So, um, so yeah, I think that's kind of my story. Okay, wonderful. And I know that you're not 100% um, back to being normal, but if you'd have had to have rated your quality of life prior to LDM, what would it have been on a score of 1 to 10, 10 being the best? Oh, boy, it was bad. It was, I'd say the one good thing I had going on in my life was that I'm married to my soulmate and he is amazing and he's also hilarious. So his jokes kept me going, but I pretty much had nothing else. I could not really eat. I couldn't digest. I couldn't sit up. I couldn't sit in one place. Um, and so I couldn't like watch a movie or watch TV or get engrossed in a book. I pretty much was writhing in pain most of the time. So I don't know if on a scale of one to 10, that would be 0.1 or one. I don't know. But um, the thing that kept me there was that I knew I had found the love of my life in a way that most people never get. And I knew that you don't mess with that. But that was kind of the one thing to live for. Um, and now, now I get to cross country ski, I get to swim, do aerial silks, walk on the beach, play with my puppy, you know, eat pretty normally I you know still keep it clean I don't eat junk um work volunteer do tons and tons of fun stuff so I think I, I went from like a 0.1 to uh 9.9 .9. wow um and I know that sometimes my husband's says to me, you know, you're, you're, you're not normal. You know, I, I think sometimes I'm, I, I think when you have it really bad, you can be so grateful and appreciate what you have so much that even if your life has plenty of issues, it doesn't bother you nearly as much as it used to. So I'm not saying that my life is perfect. I think I'm just saying that I'm so grateful to have what I need and some nice perks that it can, it can feel like a 9.9, .9, even though other people might look at it and say, you still got some issues. <laughs> I understand. I do understand that. So what is it you're doing to help other people, Jill? Well, I am enjoying volunteering as um, the host of the podcast and um, bringing information to other people who have POTS, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, as I have, um, and mast cell matters. Um, Deep Dives in Mast Cell Activation Syndrome is the other podcast where we try to bring information out to people. Um, I raise money with Standing Up to POTS to help fund research that can help today's suffering POTS patients. And as part of that, our newest initiative is um, creating a um, documentary about mast cell activation syndrome and related syndromes um, with you doing a humongous part of the work and making it possible and with some of our favorite doctors in this space Dr. Leonard Weinstock and Dr. Tanya Dempsey and some others um, some of whom are I believe some of your medical advisors. That is a very exciting project and as you were saying how long it took you to be diagnosed I'm sure there are people watching this 
who possibly think that these are pieces of a jigsaw puzzle for them to investigate. But when you have been ill for, say, 20 years and you've tried every medication that's out there, you've seen every doctor that you can possibly think of, yet you feel no better. You know, that is so disheartening, isn't it? And as you were saying, that when you got the diagnosis, you expected a treatment plan to fix you. And I have to say that with my parents, with myself, I thought exactly the same. When I was healthy, I thought if you get sick, it doesn't matter because the experts are there. You will go and see them. They'll diagnose you and treat you. And now I was told, and I was in a really bad place. I was like you, probably a one and a half. I couldn't function. I never couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't do anything for myself. And then to be told there's nothing more we can do for you. Nothing more, but you haven't done anything yet. <laughs> well, I must admit, I, w I was on Rebif, which is an interfering drug for eight months. And it was slowly killing my liver. So, but it, that's the only thing it did for me. It didn't do any good. It was just um, hurting my liver. But I really believed that the medical professions could fix me. But it's hard to take, isn't it, when you, you have this realisation that possibly they can fix the majority of things. But when it's a complex condition that they don't really know that much about how to diagnose, how to treat. So this documentary hopefully will help educate and give ideas on how to treat. And there's going to be a library as well of information where the people that have been doing this for years share their expertise with others. And that's the only way, really, I think it's going to move forward. What do you think? I think so, too. And I am so grateful to these doctors who are taking their time. They're donating their time. It's, it's very time consuming to do all of this. But they're so passionate about helping patients. And unfortunately, what they're seeing is that the traditional medical system is not getting interested in this either because patients like me are too time consuming or there is no specialty that's in charge of like the whole body going haywire. Um, for whatever reason, there is not a lot of interest. And so I'm super grateful to those physicians and to the LDN Research Trust. I've always thought the LDN Research Trust was not only great because of finding LDN, but it's a way to find the doctors who are doing their research and who are open-minded and who are really patient-focused and care more about finding things to help their patients than they do about, you know, taking kickbacks from the drug companies. And so I'm really excited about the, the partnership that's coming together to make this information more widespread. Because one thing I should say is, is according to these doctors, you know, up to 17% of the population may have the genetics um, to, to develop the same problems that I have to one degree or another. So this is not rare. And the fact that it's so rare to find a doctor who knows about it is a really big problem. So I'm, I'm so you know thankful to you guys for doing all the work. Boy, I never realized how much work went into 
making a documentary, but getting the word out there is going to save lives and they're never going to, they're never going to realize what a gift you gave them to not spend, you know, half a lifetime trying to fix this problem. But the documentary isn't an LDN documentary. It's really about NCAS, EDS and POTS. It's about the condition. LDN is just one of the tools in a treatment protocol that works for some and doesn't work for others. So we're not saying that LDN is going to cure all these things or help everybody, but it is something that um, is worth trying to see if it does actually do something to help. I have a question for you. I am curious if you think that LDN effectiveness is it all based on genetics? And the reason that I ask is because um, LDN obviously helped me a lot and I notice it quite a bit. In my dad, it prevented him from needing a shoulder replacement. In my mom, it um, made her not need a knee replacement. She was hobbling around ready for surgery and then COVID came along, so they canceled the surgery. And I encouraged her to try LDN and she never ended up getting a knee replacement and she's back to snowshoeing and hiking and forgot that that was ever even a thing. And so what goes through my head is, huh, I don't know if, if my family gets luckier than average in how effective LDN is for them, but I've definitely seen some amazing um, healing go on. It's a, that's a really good point, but there are people who feel I've been on LDN, I tried it, it didn't work for me. They probably, and if they go back and start on a very low dose, if they had some side effects, you know, going ultra low dose, you know, 0.001, you know, just a tiny minuscule bit until your body accepts it and slowly increase it. Others, um, some of their doctors prescribe like, 2.5, then 3, 4.5, two bigger jumps. So your sweet spot could be in that jump. So as Dr. Sarah Zeldorf would say, you know, start low and go slow and, you know, be patient. And most people, even if they thought LDM wasn't working for them, by going back and taking the time and doing it slowly, most of those people do find benefit. I mean, when we say benefit, it could be anything, you know, from being miraculous like you and me, or it could be um, that they sleep better or they have less pain, but it might not help with everything. You know, everybody is different, but most people find LDN does something if you can find the right dose for you. And that's the the problem Um, with uh, Western medicine. The doctors like to open a book where it says, take two paracetamol four times a day, job done. They know what they're doing. They know how to prescribe it. And that is just not LDN at all. You know, LDN is, you've got to be like a Sherlock Holmes. You've got to find out what is the right dose for that patient. So it's really interesting, providing your provider (laughs) is willing to take you on 
And as you said, a lot of these patients are time consuming. You know, there are many issues that you have to look at with many patients and you need a multi-prong approach. As you were saying about diet, it's important. You need to check, you know, your minerals and supplements and make sure that your body is being fueled correctly. That, you know, if you are vitamin D deficient, that you're taking the right amount of vitamin D, etc., etc. But I know I'm probably speaking to the choir here. I think um, when you have a chronic condition, you become an expert in that condition because you're like a sponge. You want to understand it. You want to read everything. Even if it's very technical, you learn to read technical information to learn because who's your biggest advocate is yourself, isn't it? You know, for sure. Yep. The smartest people I meet are people who have been through hell and worked to get themselves out of it. Exactly. <laughs> well, it's been wonderful talking to you, Jill, as always. And um, I hope I get to come and see you to record for the documentary. Yes, absolutely. And the podcast too, because you are amazing. Thank you for your work. Thank you for your inspiration and your leadership in all of this great stuff. Okay. I'll speak <laughs> to you soon. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Any questions or comments you may have, please email me, linda, L-I-N-D-A, at L-D-N, rt.org. I look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for joining us today. We really appreciated your company. Until next time, stay safe and keep well.